This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so um, we're going to start off. We're going to start off with Rus. I think one of the most important lessons that someone can learn from Rus is that you can come from nowhere. Rus came from nowhere at all. She came not only from nowhere, she came from a very bad place. She came from Lot being with his own daughter and having a child and calling that child Moab, Me'avi. Don't think I got pregnant. You know, the Immaculate Conception that started a whole religion. I went into a cave and I got pregnant. She says, no, it's my father. She got her father drunk. She thought the whole world was destroyed. So she did it, L'Shem Shemayim. And um, from that came, became Moab. And from incest, from a very not good place. And... The Moavim, when we came out of Eretz Yisrael, and we were going to Eretz Yisrael, we came out of Mitzrayim, we were going to Eretz Yisrael, so we came to Moab, and we were hungry, and we were thirsty, and we asked them for food, and we asked them for water to drink, and they said no. And we said, what do you mean no? If it wasn't Lot, who was, you come from Lot, and if it wasn't from Avraham Avinu, saving Lot from the four kings, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even exist. And they said, we don't care, no. So they were Kafi Toiv. They were they were ingrates. They had no great. They, they didn't. They they had a terrible midah that they were they were ungrateful. And Hashem said, "I don't want that DNA. I don't want spiritual DNA of people who are ungrateful. I don't want that in Klai Yisrael." So the Torah tells us that we're not allowed to marry a Moavi. Um, the second reason the Torah gives us that they sent down their daughters and they turned them into Zionists. And they sent them to Klaistrel, and Klaistrel was Mizana with them, and 24,000 Jewish men died because of the Moavis. Hashem said, I don't want this nation to be able to marry into the Jewish nation. Mitzrim, Egyptians who put us through Mitzrayim, they're allowed to become Jews. Amalekim, which is the, our greatest enemy, they're allowed to become Jews, but not Moavi. Why? Because Amalekis, were, they weren't Kafi Toiv, they were Risham. The Mitzrim, they weren't Kafi Toiv, they weren't ungrateful, they were Risham. Okay, that's not DNA. That's not a DNA. But a DNA of being ungrateful, Hashem said, I don't want that. My children, one meter that Klaishol has to have is to have a karasatov, to have recognition um, to the ones, to, to everybody, to anyone that does anything for you. I, I started downstairs, I went totally off subject downstairs. But like, that's why Kibbut of Aim is in the first five of the other was The first five is the Neich Hashem, between us and Hashem. The second five is between us and a human being. Why is Kibbut of Aim? It's between us and a human being. Why is that in the first five? Because you can't have, you can't have a Neich Hashem, you can't have a relationship with God if you're an ingrate. If you, if you don't have Kibbut of Aim and you, don't, and you don't have gratitude, what do you mean? What do I have to thank my parents for? They don't give me the car. They don't do this. They don't do that. They're dysfunctional. Um, so the answer is they brought you into this world. I don't want to be in this world. I have a miserable life. So what my parents do for me, right? That's what a lot of people are asking. And the, and the answer is, they gave you the most, the biggest present that a human being can have is the present. The present means in time, and every moment that a person lives, that is the greatest present. That's why it's called the present. And our parents gave us that. But I didn't want it. I didn't ask them for it. Right, so you're going you're gonna to be angry at me if I put you in, a, in a, a vault with millions of dollars in gold and silver and diamonds and tell me I don't want it? Okay, if you don't want it, don't take any diamonds. But if you want it, there's diamonds there. So your parents brought you into the world. They didn't tell you not to want it. It's up to you what you want to do. And the Pirkei Elvis says that one moment in this world of doing good deeds is better than the whole Oilam Haba. You know why you should want to live another moment? 
so you can do a good deed. You know why? Because a good deed is better than the whole Eilam. I want Eilam Haba, Gan Eden. No, you don't. You want to do a good deed in this world, it's much bigger. That's why when a person dies, it's so tragic. Why? What's so tragic? If you really believe what you say when you go to be Menachem Babel, what does everyone say? Oh, your mother's in a better place. She's with Sarah Yimenu and Rivka and Rachel and Leah. You want to make the person feel good, right? If you really believe they're in a better place, so what are you sitting on the floor for? What are you crying? We should be throwing a party. Imagine your parents are stuck in a snowstorm in New York. And you got them on the last plane, Jet Blue, to Florida. And they're like, Hi! We're at the beach. It's 82 degrees. You're going to be all ripping my shirt. Oh, I'm so sad. I'm crying. Are you kidding me? We got you to go to Florida. Wow, amazing. Party time. So if you really believe that they go to the next world and it's a better place, what are you crying for? Because the, the end of potential of life, the, that you have no more potential, is the most tragic thing that exists in the world. The most tragic thing is if a person takes their own life, the most tragic thing, and I'm just telling them downstairs, there's a, a song or a book or something written, this guy jumped off a bridge to kill himself, and halfway down, he said he wrote, because he made it, for some reason he didn't die, he wrote halfway down where I said, oh boy, I changed my mind, but I couldn't stop falling. So when you, when you, when you have life, many people are like, I'd rather be dead. When, you, when, when they tell you that you have Shama disease that you're going to die, you're like, do whatever you can to keep me alive. So life is amazing. Even if it's painful, whatever it is, but there's a, there's a moment, there's always a moment, there's potential, there's change, there's hope, there's, 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 there's you can make a bracha, to say a bracha to Hashem, bless you Hashem. In the next world, you are nothing. You cannot say bracha to Hashem. In this world, you are so major that you could give the greatest being in the world a blessing. Me? I can give Hashem a blessing? He needs my blessing? Yeah, anything you do, Baruch Hashem! That's amazing, that's crazy. That's a, that's a reason to hold on to another second of life. Yeah, it's crazy. And the Mishnah says that a moment in this world is greater than the next. Um, how about, and one moment of enjoyment in the next world is worth more than all the enjoyment cupcakes, chocolate ice cream, haagen whatever, whatever you enjoy more, one second in the next world is more enjoyment than all the enjoyment of the whole world of your whole life holy moly, that must be a lot of enjoyment but with knowing that, one second in this world is worth more than the whole next world wow what? It's not contradiction. Saying the following. The one moment in this world is greater than the whole next world. Now, what's so great about the whole next world? We're telling you that in the next world, one moment of enjoyment is more than all the enjoyment in this world. So do you understand when I tell you that one moment in this world is better than any one moment in the next world? That means it's, it's worth more than all the moments in this world of enjoyment. It's the same thing. He's just explaining to you like, okay, so one moment in this world is worth more than the whole next world. What's the whole next world? Maybe it's disgusting. Maybe it's a sewer. I don't know. So the Mishnah says, no, no, no. You want to know what the next world is? It's one second there is better than all the enjoyment. Not better than this world. All the enjoyment of the next world. So it's crazy. I, I, I very much feel that the problems with most of us is that we don't appreciate 
life. We don't appreciate it till we're busy on our stupid phones that are dead pieces of metal. And that's not life, and that's not potential, and that's not what the mission is talking about. But giving a good word to someone and making someone smile and saying a bracha, it's crazy. So the Sultan said, yeah, let's make sure they don't do that. Let's make sure they're just on their phone, chatting, chatting, whatsapping, whatsapping, back and forth, back and forth. At the end of the day, you go to sleep. What did you do? What did you do today? Who did you make smile? How many brachas did you make to Hashem with kavana? Who did you help? Think about it. I think about it every single night. And sometimes I'm like, I should have called this one back. I didn't do this. I did that. I wasted time with this. You have to make a cheshbon and nefesh. It's amazing. Life is amazing. You think life is what you make it? No. We go, it's not always what you make. It's how you look at things. But, you know, you know, they always say, some people, you know, some people look at the glass half full, some look at half empty. I look at the glass and say, who drank that? That was my glass. Everybody looks at the glass differently. So if you, if you don't use your life for potential, then you don't know what you're missing if you don't make other people happy and you don't do things and you don't have kivr of aim. Kivr of aim is the basis of the DNA of Akar Satov. Even if your parents are the most dysfunctional people in the whole world, they brought you into a world where you could do anything. They brought you into a world where you can bless God. They brought you into a world where you can make a little kid smile or an old person smile or, or do a mitzvah or help somebody. It's crazy potential. But guess what? If you never use your potential, you're not missing anything because you don't know what it is. You know, the, the famous question, is it better to have loved and lost or to never have loved at all? I asked my, my seminary many years ago that question. Is it better to have loved and lost or never to have loved at all? So there's no pain, there's no loss. So I always say, the person who says it's better to have never loved at all, never loved. Because if they would have experienced love, they would have all answered, better to have loved than the pain of losing, but at least I had that moment. I had that moment. I had that moment. If you, never, if you say, better never to have that moment, you never had that moment. No way. So to say, I don't want to be in this world, and what am I doing here, and why did they bring me here? You never had that moment. You never had that potential, realized moment. Never. Because if you did, you made a little kid smile, you helped somebody, you had that moment, you will never say, I wish they didn't bring me into this world. If you're saying that, you never did anything for anybody. You never experienced life. Okay? If you never experienced life, I understand. you angry at your parents that they brought you into the world. Who asked them to? You asked... Who asked to be in a vault with gold and diamonds and jewels? Who asked them to? Who asked Rabbi Wallstein to give me a million dollars? Nobody! But I still got a million dollars! I did great! That moment. If you don't experience it, you don't miss it. That phone is like the worst thing that was ever created. Just a waste of time. At the end of the day, what do you have? When you go to sleep, you put your head on your pillow. So for eight hours, I was on WhatsApp. I watched two movies, four hours. So what do you have? The, the, the actress was fake. The actor is fake. The story is fake. What do you have? You left the real world with real people. 
and spend four hours with people that don't exist. They're in California. They don't care if you drop dead. They don't care who you are or what you are. What did you do for those four hours? What do you have? Oh, um, I relaxed. And are you physically more healthy? You want to relax? Go on a treadmill. Go spinning. Go running. Go walking. Go to a zoo. Go to botanical gardens. That's relaxing, watching Mishugam. And I'm not even talking about body part movies. I'm trying to be clean. Forget about that and what it does to a girl when she watches these things. It emotionally disturbs her. Mentally. Very different than boys. Very different than boys when a girl watches these things because she's emotionally involved. And that was disgusting. And why that? And why this? And they start thinking and they go into the whole thing. And it's a gunsy emotional thing. And they got to talk to the friend about what they saw. And you got to watch it too because we have to discuss it. Because you think a guy does that? <laughs> no. It's totally physical. And I was telling the girls downstairs that, that emotional relationships... 90%, Time Magazine, 90% of emotional relationships become physical. Only 20% of physical relationships become emotional. You think you can have a physical relationship with a boy, that that's going to get you to, him to marry you? You are so way off. It's going to get him not to marry you. Oh, Rabbi Wolfstein, he's different. You don't know my Chaim. Chaim is different. <laughs> Even if we're not Shamanigia, he's going to marry me. He loves me. Idiots. If he loves you, he won't abuse you and use you. Use him, abuse him, and then lose him. No, no, every guy's like that. Every guy that's not Shemini Gia, there's something very wrong. Something very wrong. Why isn't he Shemini Gia? Why doesn't he respect you? Yeah, when he, you know when a guy's supposed to touch you? When he puts the ring on your finger. That's the first time he's allowed to touch you. You know why? Because you know, he says, Hariat Makudeshasli. Someone who's not Chairman of Gia doesn't say, Hi, hurry up, Mikudeshesli, let's do something. No, you're not holy to him because you're holy to him. He wouldn't do that. So, yeah, the first time a boy's allowed to touch a girl is when he puts the ring on her finger and he says, Hari at Mikudeshesli, you are holy to me. But if you're not Chairman of Gia, you're going to start giggling under the chuppah? When he says you're holy, you're like, No, I really wasn't. I really wasn't so holy. Marriage is a holy thing. And I was telling the girls downstairs, I'm like, if you want to see a good marriage, I know, I know some of you is going to make you nauseous what I'm about to say, but if you want to see a good marriage, look at a gadol. Ooh, Rabbi Wellstein, they didn't hang, they didn't chill, they didn't go to bars, smoke, they didn't drink, they went in the back seat, Rabbi, come on, yeah, you, all you rabbis talking about tzaddikin, what do you think, I'm Ruchli Mainu? I live in Brooklyn! Oh, they're not normal. Very normal. I was telling you an amazing story downstairs. And, and I know that I'm going nowhere with this. Because when I talk to girls, they're, they're, in their mind, it's like, yeah, right, well, see, you don't understand. I'm different. I could be like mostly Shomenigia. You know, it's not, you're going to end up getting pregnant like, ha ha, are you crazy? What are you crazy, Rabbi? Who are you guys? Who are you guys? This is what a girl called me a few days ago. You're extremists. Can you hold hands when you get pregnant? You ever hear someone getting pregnant from holding hands? Yeah, well, I hate to tell you how many times I've been in front of Bezzy with pregnant girls. I'm not in this world to kill children. I'm in this world to bring children into the world. 
So I don't, I don't, I don't listen to what girls tell me or guys tell me because I never have to deal with it. And I, I, I didn't want. To, I don't know what's going on in, in Shemayim today because I really came to teach Rus, and I, this happened downstairs also. I don't know what's going on. Something's going on. Something is going on. True story. I'm in a shul. True story. What I'm about to tell you. I know this girl. This is going way back. This is going about 15 years ago. Frum girl, whatever that means. But frum girl, long skirt, Pesiakov girl, top of her class, Shemit Shabbos, Shemit Torah Mitzvahs. She comes to me one day, I need to talk to you. She's crying, I know already what's coming. She was 16 or 17 years old, and she took an early pregnancy test and it came back positive. And I'm like, what? You? She goes, yep. Um, I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's a false positive. I took it to, my do- to, to the doctor in Manhattan, to Gila Leiter, to the big doctor, took the blood test, pregnant. Pregnant. 16. Her father will take her in the backyard, probably shoot her. What are we going to do with the kid? What are we- crazy situation. I just started dealing with girls at that point. I like to ask questions. I like to understand what goes on in your crazy heads. <laughs> so I said to her, I'm not asking you a biological question. How did you get pregnant? I'm not asking you biology. I know biology. But, like, how does a girl like you, long, I mean, and not a faker, not a street kid, not a bum, like, like a good girl. Okay, you're saying, like, she's pregnant. What do you mean, a good girl? Yeah, yeah, she made a mistake. I, I don't judge people. Good, but, like, like, I just need to know, like, like, did he attack you? Do you want me to tell the police? Because like, there's no way she's doing this. Sarah Wallstein, you're not going to believe it, and you should talk to girls about it. I'm like, what happened? She said, I met him, we were in the park, sitting, sitting by a table, show me the gear. She said, I was showing the gear. There's no, no Shiloh. I'm not getting pregnant. This, this is a good girl. This is a girl that could be sitting in this class. A good from girl. Okay? She said, show me the gear. Totally show me the gear. He understood the word. He said, we're sitting at a table on a bench. And he's telling me that in yeshiva, he is the, the arm wrestler champion. Strong guy. He said, nobody could beat him. And he said, you know, that if... I would put my hand, the way you win is, you, you, the other person's hand has to hit the, hit the table. He said, if I would put my hand on the table, you're sitting by a table, and like this, you could not get my hand to the table. Even, not, not starting an arm wrestle here, but I would start the arm wrestle here, you could not get my hand to the table. She said, I'm a Machanayim champion, And I could get your hand to the table if we had a regular arm wrestle. He said, no way. I'm willing to start over here. What can happen? You don't get pregnant from an arm wrestle, for all those who don't know. So, like, okay. She said, well, we had an arm wrestle. I never touched a boy's hand in my life. It was the first time I ever touched a boy's hand. She said, one thing led to the next thing, to the next thing. Once I broke that line... And we got a big problem. We got to go to Besden. Whatever. I'm not even getting into what happened. But from an arm wrestle, it sounds ridiculous. Whoever's watching a Torah is like, come.
come on, Rabbi. The Satan just wants to break the defense a little bit, like a dam, a little crack, and the whole dam cracks. So he knew this girl, she's not, she's not walking in the park holding hands. She's not kissing this boy. That's crazy. Arm wrestle for a second. First girl I ever dealt with that was a teenager that was pregnant from an arm wrestle. And a lot of stuff has happened since then in my life with girls and with women at offices that, you know, just started talking to a guy or started talking to a guy at the office very innocently. He's like, you know, I'm having a struggle with my wife and my marriage. I see for your anniversary, your husband sent you 65 roses. You guys must have an amazing marriage. Maybe, maybe I'm not so good. I'm not being nice to my wife. Maybe we could talk about, maybe you could give me some advice. And she committed adultery with this guy. She's divorced. She lost everything. It didn't start off, you know, let's go do something in a motel. It started off with, let's talk. Let's, you know, give me some marriage advice. And then she got emotionally involved with him and she wasn't having such a good marriage. Yup. Goodbye. Lost her family. Lost everything. Chayv, whatever, in Shemayim. I'm not Shemayim. There's no room for the satan. Not an inch. Not an arm wrestle. Not a pinky wrestle. Not a thumb wrestle. Nothing. Because once he gets in, he's in. It's like, it's like a fly. He's called the fly. The Yitzhah is called the fly. If you have an apple, the fly, you see him on the apple, he can't get in, he can't get anything. You bite out of the apple, he goes in, he rots the whole thing. He wants to get in just past your first defense. And then he's going to make you so much sugar that you're going to say, Ugh, I, did, I did this, I did that already, so what's the difference? Oh, I just had this this week. A girl that did stuff she's not supposed to, and now she's just jumping from one guy to the next. And I'm like, first of all, you were definitely addicted, and we got to send you away to a residential treatment center for that addiction. But she said once, once, and she said I was a year ago, a year and a half ago, I was totally showing a year. This started a year and a half ago, and now every night it's a different guy. What? So I said, well, hello? She's 23, like, you show me the gear till 23, like, what are you doing? You could get married tomorrow. And she's like, no, once it, one guy that said, I'm, I'm, I it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. Of course it matters. It's hard to tell you it doesn't matter. He either tells you you're so bad that what's the difference if you can try to be good now, you're wasting your time, or he tells you you're so good, if you're bad a little bit, it's not, it's not the end of the day. He's got you coming and going. He's a malach. Girls, he's a malach. You're fighting an angel. You're fighting an angel, but you also have an angel. You have a, you have a, you have a, you have a Yetzir Tov. But the Chachamim know you're fighting an angel. So they're like, listen, this enemy, he's got guns, he's got bullets, he's got all kinds of ideas. He's going to make you crazy. Listen to us, we're going to build a Gedder. It's called Shemini Gia. We're going to build a fence. If you can't touch him, you can't get pregnant. If you can't touch him, you can't do any of these Averis. So we're going to make a Gedder. We're going to protect you. Because guess what? One-on-one, you ain't got no choice. You're not Yaakov Avinu fighting with the Malach. That's not what's happening. You're not Yaakov Avinu. And even Yaakov Avinu left the fight limping. Limping. He couldn't walk. You think you're going to leave the fight with the HR because I'm different? Or he's different? Even in the Constitution of, the, of America, it says all men were created equal. You're going to say differently? I understand, Rabbi Wallstein, they're all animals, they're all crazy. What's going on? I thought they're tzaddikim. Yeah, tzaddikim are sharing the gear. No, they're not animals. 
They're controlling themselves. And I, I said down, says, if you go out with a guy for three months, and then you're Shermany Gia, and then you have to wait three months to get married, that's six months that you're with someone that you really love and you really care about, you really, at that point, have a relationship, and you don't touch each other, you really love each other. Once you start touching each other, I don't know, maybe just like males. Maybe it could be any guy. You don't know, you're all mixed up. He definitely doesn't know. Once body parts get involved, brain parts stop working. They don't work together. So if you could go six months with being Sherman Gia, and then you get married, that means he really likes you. He got to know you emotionally and spiritually. Should work. Is it is no one get divorced with Sherman Gia? No, people get divorced with Sherman Gia too, but your percentages are much higher and it's on a much, much different level. The Chachamim knew what they were doing because without Gedarim, right, the whole thing of Yichud, I'll tell you something disgusting. You want to hear something disgusting? Yeah, yeah, Rawalstein. Tell us something disgusting. It's not disgusting, but it's disgusting. So my Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel Rabinovich, will not give a bracha to a couple if they're not Shemini Gia. There are many times a girl and boy are engaged and I bring them for a bracha for their marriage and the first question he asks, are you Shemini Gia? If the answer is no, I can't give you a bracha because if you're not Shemini Gia, you're not going to be keep Taras HaMeshpacha. I'm going to give a bracha that you should, you should sleep, to, you should be together after you're married and be of Kares. But Rabbi Gamliel said, if you're not Shemini now, why, who says you can be Shemini then? If you're not keep Taras HaMeshpacha, you, I, I don't want to, you shouldn't be married. I don't want to give you a bracha, you should be married. He's very strict about that. Anyway, this is way back. I come with a, a girl who was in her show, and she was engaged, and I came with the girl and boy, nice, very nice couple, and we came to Rabbi Gamliel, and he asked them, and I, and I said, Rabbi, can you give, give my students a bracha? And he turns to the boy, and he says, are you shaming the gear? And the boy made a big mistake. No, he didn't make, He said the truth. He said, mostly. What part is that? What's the mostly part? Like, what part is not mostly? Like, what is mostly? So my Rabbi says, what's mostly? In Ivrit, like, are you Shemini Gia or you're not Shemini Gia? Right? You're not a, people that don't get a little pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant, right? So, like, what does mostly mean? Eh, we hold hands, but we don't, we don't do anything really bad. That don't fly by him. And he says, then how do you know you're not going to do something bad? No, no, we made up between us. We're, we're, we're good. We're good. I love when people say, we're good. You're not good. You're not Shemini Gia. What do you mean you're good? Well, we're good. Okay. He goes up and pulls down a safer, and he opens it up, and he says, how could you say witness on yourself that you're mostly Shemitah and you won't break down and do other things? How could you say that? He says, I will show you a halacha. You ready, girls? The halacha is, did, you did, I don't know why, you didn't learn Hilchus Yichud here? Nobody told you Hilchus Yichud? We gotta, what? No, the, real, no, the halacha, there's a safer on it. Okay, we have, we have to get you guys to say from Yichud. Yichud is very important. You can't be alone with a guy, and if two men and one woman is okay, but two women and one man is not okay. There's a lot of halachas in Yichud, and you have to keep the door open or the window open or people coming back and forth. And if you go somewhere with a guy, but, 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 but if, he, if you screamed out, nobody would hear, like you're out in the, in the Catskills. So even though you're sitting in a car and the windows are open, but if you would scream and nobody would hear, then that's Yichud. There's a lot of, there's a lot of halachas in Yichud. There's a lot of different halachas in Yichud. So... The halacha is that a man is not allowed to be in a closed room with a dead woman. That's the disgusting part, okay? 
The halachi is, and that's why when a woman dies now, but the shamer, but the shamer of the body is a woman. They don't they don't put a man in the room alone with the woman. Now, when my Rebbe said that, I never heard, I didn't know the halacha, and I was like, that's pretty disgusting. That's very disgusting. That's creepy disgusting. That's like creepy disgusting. The lady's dead. Leave her alone. Right? So, so I walked out of that room thinking, Rabbis, that's extreme. That's extreme. I mean, you don't have to have such a halacha. Like, like, ugh. Okay. You can look this up. Two years later, there's a movie. That, a true story. That there were these two guys working night shift in a hospital. And every night, they would go down to the morgue, pull out the women's dead bodies, and do stuff. And it went to the Supreme Court. Because it can't be, what's it called? Because they're dead. In other words, there's no law, there's no law, there's no law written for this. So if the person's not alive, is it attacking a person? Is that a person? Is it dead body? It was a big Supreme Court case. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the Chachamim, the Chachamim wrote this thousand years ago. And I'm like, that's crazy. And it's happening. And there's a court case. And there's a movie. There's a movie about it. So the Chachamim knew the human being. So, you know what my Rebbe said to them? So he said to him, he took out the halach, he said, he said, she doesn't look dead. Oh my gosh, how could you make that statement? Madal, surely we don't trust you with a dead body. This girl ain't dead. We surely don't trust you. I'm not giving you a bracha. Until you come back and you're shemini here. I was rocked. I didn't know that halacha. I was rocked. Without Gedorim, people do sick stuff. Very sick stuff. And that's why the Chachamim, yeah, but you, you, you're going like, Ugh, I'm so uncomfortable, but, but then why aren't you comfortable, why aren't you uncomfortable when a guy, when the, when the woman's alive and they're doing things? Like, why, why, why aren't you uncomfortable with that? Like, I don't understand. You're uncomfortable, that, that, ugh, that's disgusting? Yeah, that's how disgusting we could become if we don't live the way we're supposed to. Yeah, 100%. And look at the world right now, and the murders and the killings and the burnings and all that. Yeah, without the Torah, without the Chachamim, we could do a lot of bad stuff and, and rationalize it and make it right. It's not disgusting, it's knowing how low a human being could go. So the Chachamim made a, a, a gender that even in a room with a dead body, we're putting up a fence that you can't be alone with her. It's not disgusting. It's brilliant on their part knowing who they're dealing with. The most important thing is knowing who you're dealing with. And most people are like, no, I'm different. When you say I'm different, that you're saying I don't know what I'm dealing with because I think that I don't need a fence. You need a fence. So I told them downstairs, it's not... There was a very, very, and we'll end with this. Definitely don't want to end with that halacha. There's a, there's a, a very big tzaddik. And I had a friend that used to take him, Mishlem Zalman Arabach, big gadol, Rosh Hashiva, Eretz Yisrael, died many years ago. He was uh, the top of the top. And my friend used to take him in his car to home from Yeshiva. I think, I think, I don't know, was he in Panovich? I'm not sure which yeshiva he was, yeshiva, whatever. And 
the later years, when he was older, he used to have a napkin with a piece of sponge cake in it. So my friend, who's still a little bit of a chutzpanik, said to Rosh Hashiva, Rosh Hashiva, in America, my mother told me that you're not supposed to snack before dinner. He was taking him home for dinner. But I see that Rosh Hashiva always snacks before dinner. What's going on? So Shlomo Zaman Abach said to him, my minig all my life was that when I come home from Yeshiva at 7 o'clock, I would sit with the Rebetzin for an hour and a half to two hours and talk about my day. She would talk about her day. But now that I got older, I'm very hungry when I come home. And I was scared that I wouldn't be able to sit with her as long as I usually do. So now I eat this cake. So when I come home, I'm not hungry and I can spend my hour and a half, two hours. That's a relationship! And when she died... He got up by the Leviah, never heard anyone say this. He got up by the Leviah and said, I know by all Leviahs, husbands always get up and ask Mechila for hurting their wife's feelings or whatever they did wrong, they didn't listen, whatever it is. I am not asking Mechila from my wife. I do not have to. I have never, ever said a word of hurt to her. I have never, ever raised my voice. I have no reason to ask Mechila. That's a big statement. Okay? And you're talking about from a gadol. And everybody was very perturbed that he got up and said, I don't have to ask Mechila. Okay. Comes to the Shiva. They asked him, or Shiva, like, how can you make a statement? Why, why did you make a statement like that? He says, when I got married, I had nothing. Nothing. Not a dollar. He said, we went into the Yichud room, and it's a, it's a minute of the chassin to buy the, the kala, some jewelry, something. I didn't have any money for jewelry. He said, but I told my Rebetzin in the Yichud room that what I'm going to give her in the Yichud room is that believe neder, till death do us part, till one of us leaves the world, I will never contradict you, I will never hurt you emotionally, I will never say, raise my voice, I will never say anything to hurt you. That's the, I don't have any money, but that present I'll give you. And the Rebetzin said, it's not the minute of the Kala to give the Chassan something in the Yichud room, but I'm going to give you that too. That I will never ever say anything to hurt you or contradict you. He said, and I kept my word from the Yichud room. So is that what you want to marry? You want to marry some guy that's into body parts. Because guess what? Body parts start failing and changing as you get older. But emotional and spiritual relationships get stronger as you get older. And the Chachamim saw that. And the Chachamim knew that. So, emotional relationships become physical. That's the direction that the marriage should go. That they have a very good emotional relationship, which will cause them to have a very good physical relationship. But if you start off with the physical relationship, only 20% of those become emotional. And that's not good, because if they don't become emotional... It's not a marriage. I don't even want to tell you in English what it is, but it's not a marriage. So these are the gedarim that Achachamim made for us. Not to hurt us, not because there's a bunch of old rabbis that said, let's make sure teenagers don't have fun. Let's make rules. That's not what happened. Just the opposite. Let's make sure that teenagers have a healthy life. Now, but Rabbi... It's too late. I wasn't shaming again with the last guy. What am I going to do now? Tshuva. Just 
don't do it anymore. And be Shemini Gia. And if you tell the guy I'm Shemini Gia, and he's like, oh, you went to Wallerstein students? Oh, you heard that in seminary? If he's not respecting that barrier, then he's a body part buyer. You don't want any part of him. If he's like, wow, that's amazing. That's so spiritual. I'd like to do that too. Okay, we got, we got something going good. But if he's like, I'm out of here, get out of here. You don't, you don't care about me at all. You don't even know my name. You don't even know who I am. You don't know my emotional. You don't know what hurts me inside. You don't know what I need emotionally and spiritually. Run for your life. Not because I'm an old guy and I don't want you to have a good life. I want you to have a good life. Just the opposite. That's a gather, and we definitely have to learn the halachas of yichud. It's very important because yichud is also a gather. Very, very important. I don't. We. I, I'm surprised that, we, that no one learned it here, but I'll make sure that. Huh? No, but in a book, and there's a lot of halachas you don't even know. What? Oh yeah, he did that here in this class. Okay. Anyway, you should all be matzliach. I'm sorry I didn't get to Rus. We'll get to Rus next week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.